Hey everyone, and welcome to the episode of the Breaking the Barrier podcast, where Zach and I start talking about weird stuff, and he's laughing, and you have no idea what we were talking about, and you will never, ever find out. What's your name? What's your name? What's your name? I said, didn't I? No, you didn't say I'm Andrew. I'm Andrew. And I'm Zach. <laughs> You're obviously distracted, Andrew, by that pinnacle of sporting events that all Northern Americans care about. How much of the Commonwealth Games have you been watching? The only one that I watched was the uh, 100 meters today. Right. That's that it. Is that the guy who did 9.91? Yeah, 9.91. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he's 19 years old. 19. And the guy that like came in last, you kind of like saw him give up like <laughs> halfway in, like 500, 500 meters, 50 meters in. You just saw him give up. Like his stride completely changed like mm. it went from sprinter to this guy's going out for a long run yeah <laughs> but, yeah well he's doing 500 meters when he's meant to be doing 100 meters, yeah, well, yeah, so that's probably that as well um so the commonwealth games not a massive following for uh, northern americans even aware that it's on uh the only reason that i knew that it was on was because i entered a competition like guess how many medals the aussies will win and you'll win, like you'll get a chance to win like free bulk nutrient stuff. Right. I was grossly underprepared because I had no idea how many events that they were competing yeah. in. So I was like, five. Oh, right. <laughs> Each no. one. And already on like the first day, they got like a combined like 50 medals. Yeah, something. exactly. Australians love the Commonwealth Games. We just because we smash everyone except possibly the United Kingdom, Great Britain, because, you know, they've got a bit of talent. Uh, and, but yeah, everything else we love. Did you see an Australian woman won the women's marathon? I didn't even see the marathon. Oh, like, the marathon's great. Was it on Foxtel? I wonder if I can record no, it. No, it was free to air. It was on Channel 7 or whatever it was. Well, here. Foxtel will make me pay to watch it, so I'll yeah. just, you know, all day, I'll, uh, I'll choose that all day long. It was around the city of Birmingham, which to an Australian person looked like a charming little town of typical British uh, appeal and architecture. And to the British people I know, it's not that great. Mm. Um, they were like, why are they running around an industrial district? So I think it goes to show that what we take for granted. I remember when a couple of years ago they had the World Championships of Bicycling here and it rode through Werribee. Yeah. And the commentators were like, oh, they got the farmland, they got this and they got that. I'm like, no, it's crap around here. What are you talking about? We're a, we're a thing to ride through on the way to something else. And so Birmingham, watching Birmingham, and me thinking it was nice, and then real people who know what it's like commenting on it, I thought was a real bit of a surreal experience. That's yeah. how it usually happens. Like It's kind of like Australia to Americans. Like They mm -hmm. comment on what Australia they think... That what they think Australia is, and then an Australian just kind of sits there and just... That's not what it is. That's yeah. not what it is. No, Australian women did really well. Number one, number four, and number five in Amazing. the women's marathon. A woman won the wheelchair race uh, for the women's marathon, and then an American, uh, Australian male came fourth uh, in the men's marathon. Brilliant. So really, really good bit of distance running. Uh, I'm so sad that I missed it. I can't yeah. Commonwealth Games actually brings us back to uh, second to last guest, Tim Norton, who mm. at one point was training potentially for the Commonwealth Games before uh, before his car accident. Um, but yeah, so... Go back and listen to that episode. Well, that was yeah. a great episode. A uh, dude who runs like a 340, 1500. Uh, 342, I think he said yeah, it was. Yeah, something like that. It's crazy. Yeah. You would have loved the Birmingham course. Uh, it was the worst of all worlds. Um, it was an 18-kilometer loop. Uh, so you have to run the 18 kilometers and then go run the exact same 18 kilometers again, which is always boring and mentally draining. And then you finished with uh, the final, I don't know, six kilometers or so, which as far as I could tell was 90 degree corner, hill, 90 degree oh. corner, hill, 90 degree corner, hill, just over and over again. Um, it was incredible. Like by the end of it, because I stayed there to watch the very last run across. And she crossed in just over three hours. Mm -hmm. And she was just... Dra she had an injury. Not and sure. she was just dragging her ass up these hills. There was only about 
20 runners in the women's event. Hmm. The men's event had a little bit more, but compared to Tokyo Olympics, where every country, it seemed, had two or three different runners, there was like, you know, 120 runners in total. It was tiny. Like, it would barely qualify as a marathon maniacs race. Yeah. I got to YouTube it. I'm sure it'll be on YouTube. I'd like to watch it. It's worth watching. Yeah, Yeah. I do. That's generally uh, my MO, where... Hmm. You'll come on and be like, hey, did you see this race? <laughs> no, I didn't even know what was going on, so I'll go find it. And then YouTube. I'll tell you everything about the race, yeah. and then you'll... And I'll go watch it and, anyway. Yeah. Look for the bit with six kilometers to go where she starts to break them. Like, you can just see she, the lady who won, Jess, I forget what her surname is, and I apologize to her if she's listening, and I know she's not. Um, <laughs> she, she just broke them one by one. And every time she broke someone, it's like she did the Temple of Doom and ripped their heart out. Awesome. And went, I'm going to take that and I'm going to use that as energy later. I love and that so the last kilometer, she's just chewing people's hearts and there's blood going everywhere. And I really, I'm so sad. In, in a, you know, not in a literal fashion, but yeah. I'm disappointed now. Mm. That would be a great marathon. That'd be a great marathon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, AIDS well, station, human heart. Jesus. Monkey brains. AIDS station, because mm. blood. Yes. This is awkward. That's crazy. Um, what are we talking about? I don't know. You had notes, and I don't think we've referred to any of them. Ah, yeah, we'll get to We're Actually, it's funny, because we're going to talk about race performance oh, and yeah. the analysis of post uh, leading up to your next race. Subconsciously, but I knew that, so I, maybe yeah. that's why I took us down that path. You know, it couldn't be that I told you that we were going to be talking about that. Yeah, but, you know, I ignore you. That's fair. Mm. How's your running going? My running is going really good. Uh, I don't want to jinx it, okay. um, but I came back... I've come back from the track tonight to record with you. I went and did Yasso's. That was um, a great workout. Yasso's are 800 meter repeats where your finishing time is indicative of what your marathon performance time could be. Although I do have a question for you, Andrew. Shoot. And it's not a question I asked you before the podcast started, but you refused to answer, yelling at me, ask me that on the podcast. It's not that question. <laughs> oh, not that question? No, no. Uh, my question is, when you do a Yasso... The time that you finish in that's predictive of your marathon time, is it your time for the 800 metres or is it your time for the kilometre, like the kilometre split time? Yeah, so it's your time for the 800 metres. Mm. So if you did, say you do a three, uh, 800 metres in 3 minutes and 20 seconds, you do yep. 8 to 10 of those, minute and a half rest, 2 minutes rest, that supposedly, theoretically, will translate or predict a 3.20 marathon time. Okay. So. Not that you can run a marathon in three minutes, 20 kilometer pace, but that you will finish the marathon in three hours and 20 minutes. That 3.20, that three minutes and 20 seconds that it took you to do an 800 meter run, roughly translate to what, a four minute kilometer? Yeah, so I did, um, so these were my 800 splits. 314, 316, 320, 320, 321, 325. That's nice. And they worked out to be like 416, 410 pace. Somewhere between 4.5 and 4.16 pace on average. Yeah, that's about right. And so that theoretically says that you can go out and run a marathon as long as you have the, you know, the necessary... Super shoes. Yeah, necessarily (laughs) super shoes. The the training, you know, you've built your engine, you've built up to long distance running. You could theoretically go out and run a marathon... Between 3.20 and 3.30, 3 hours and 20 minutes and 3 hours and 30 minutes. It's a, it's not an exact science. It's like those those uh, race time predictors you go on, you well, plug in. My garment says I can do 3.19. Well, that, well there you go. Yeah. Um, my garment, you know, it'd be interesting to mm. really go for a time that your garment tells me because not once 
I think, has it ever told me a mm. correct time? Well, both Garmin and Yasso are telling me I can go 10 minutes faster than my PB, mm. which I set when I was at my absolute physical peak, and well, I'm not there right now. No, well, it's, <laughs> it, I guess the point, the, the moral of the story is it's an interesting guideline, it's an interesting metric. Maybe it gives you something to shoot for, but again, it's all relative, really. I mean, as you, as you progress in distance, your times just break down, and mm. it's not... Doesn't always translate. You can go and plug in. Okay, I just ran a 5K in 20 minutes. What should my marathon time be? It'll tell you probably somewhere between 3:30 and th- and four hours. But who knows? You know, you might get out because if you're used to running a 5K, but then you go out and run a marathon, you could explode and run yeah. it in four hours and 45 minutes or something. I mean, it's not hurting my confidence that I was able to get out there and do it. The, the good thing was is that you know that sixth interval. I, I finished the interval and I knew that I hadn't given it all. Mm. And I, even as I was looking down at the watch, I'm like, it's going to be a lot slower. Yeah. I could just feel that it was a slower time. And then I was able to pull it back and get the last two a little bit faster again. No pain. Um, again, just running without pain is just amazing. It's I really recommend thing. people try it. What's that like? It's astonishing. Wow. It's like, like I feel tired right now. I yeah. think I said before, my legs feel heavy. I... I rode on Tuesday and it was a super windy day on Tuesday. Mm. And so riding in that was crazy. I had a really slow time into the headwind on the way to work and a super fast time on the way back. Uh, but I negated all the tailwind advantage by going, oh, well, since I've got the tailwind, I might as well go even harder on the pedaling. So, and then I did hills yesterday. And so my legs are, are kind of, they're really tired at the moment, but they're not sore, they're not injured. And the foot is fine as well. That's so cool. It's just, it's awesome. That's it's exciting. so good. Yeah. Very good. Hmm. How are you going? Yeah, I'm going. I'm going pretty well. So we're back into it. This is last week was a bit of a deload week after the mm. race. Uh, we're back into it this week. So Monday I had my 13 kilometer kind of recovery. Tuesday I, I went for a really cool workout. It was a split tempo workout, so a broken tempo workout rather. And so it was basically it was a, a two mile warm up, 3.2 kilometers, and then straight in. Well, a two minute rest, then straight into uh, 800 meter repeats. Okay, so kind of like Yasso's. You're yeah. right. I uh, only did four of them. Uh, so I did four of those with a minute and a half rest in between. And I did those at basically 330, 327, 328, something like that uh, for four of them. And so I took it easy. I probably, I feel like I probably could have done 325s pretty yeah. comfortably had I known that I was going to go to eight. But I was kind of saving myself because after the last 800, another couple minutes of walk rest. And then straight into a six and a half kilometer hard tempo. Oh wow! Faster than half marathon pace. So it was. It was, it was like a, take half of two workouts and kind of smash them together. Yeah, and so I kept about a four fifty pace there. Mm. You know, my first. I'll talk in miles for a second. My first mile, I was feeling pretty cocky, and I went out and I did like a seven thirty mile. And my second mile, I settled into like a seven forty five because that was a little bit too fast. But it was good. It was even. You know, I finished the last kilometer and a half faster than I start uh, than than the than, the than the middle part. Then I took another couple minute walk rest, and then straight into four four hundred meter repeats. Oh my god! Now we're into like the, th- yeah. the second interval workout. It's like three workouts. It was nuts. Uh, that I I did those each at 140, 140, 140. So not quite, you know my pb pace for like a 5k but you know still respectable after that and then another just a recover and then a 3.2 kilometer cool down so overall it was about 
I did, including the walking, about 19 and a half kilometers. I was about kilometers. to say, it sounded like, as I'm adding it up in my head, I'm like, that's about 18 kilometers or so. Yeah. How long did it take, though, like, uh, time-wise? Uh, time-wise, and I didn't mm. I didn't pause mm. my watch at all throughout running, the yeah. entire, even in the walk break. So time-wise, it worked out to about, I'll tell you, I will tell you. He is searching on his watch. This is riveting podcast experience. Totally. It's the best. Um, can you listen to the ticking of his fingernails? So it took uh, it took an hour and 50 minutes and 40 seconds, which gave me an average, including walking, five minutes and 43 seconds. Per That's hour. good. So, yeah. So, basically, that was a hell of a workout, and that's just the beginning. So, we're going to get some really cool speed workouts in. I... So basically, at the beginning of the week, I'm already sitting at over 30 kilometers, like 32 kilometers from Monday, Tuesday. Yesterday, yeah. I rested. Today, I went to Flinders Peak, ran up and down Yep. many times I could for Oh, when did you minutes. go? Oh, I went late. I went around 10 o'clock. Oh, okay. That's about uh, to say. My, daughter's, my daughter's school was out there doing oh, right. uh, Flinders Peak and bushwalking and stuff. Hmm. So I was wondering if they'd seen it. I threatened to go out there. And I said to her, when you were out there with all your school friends hiking, I'll go out there and I'll run Flinders Peak. And I'll put on my shortest shorts and everything and really embarrass you. And she did not like that as an idea for some reason. I don't you know what? Why. I wasn't even going to be there when you were going, and I don't think I like that either. <laughs> Who's that? What's that? I didn't know we had Yetis here. What's going on? Sasquatch. Yeah. Zach Squatch. Plus, I can barely go a run these days without needing to pop off into the loo somewhere. So that would have been absolutely horrifying yeah, if that's that fair. had to happen. Yeah. I hate, like, they're, they're working on the, 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 the toilets up there, mm. so you got to, like, you park and then you gotta like walk a hundred meters down to the yeah. toilets. Like I'm, I'm there to exercise, not walk. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Actually, I'm there to train, not exercise. There's a difference. Yeah. So, but yeah. So I guess that's going well. So I guess that kind of leads us into the discussion. So you know, part of that run on Tuesday was a faster than half marathon pace because mm. Kirk and I have decided to set. Oh, you set a target. We've set a target. Ooh. So. Write it down on this piece of paper, and we'll we'll bury it, and we'll pull it out after the event. <laughs> well, his question was on our call. He said, "All right, so looking back at your race, what half do you th- marathon. half marathon, yeah. right? One forty-five and change. What do you think you want to do for the the full marathon?" I said, "Well, look, we still have at this point nine weeks. Last week, yeah. and I said I'd love to do three thirty. Mm. You know, it's it's going to be a really close call." And he says, "Well, you believe that you can?" I said, "Well, look, right now, probably not." But depending on how hard we work in the next... Still two months to go. Exactly. In the next yeah. couple of months, six, seven weeks really, including, mm. uh, not including taper, I think it's possible. And to be honest, if I ever want to run a sub-three-hour marathon, I have to believe that I can run a 3.30 marathon. Yeah. So that's where we're headed. So what we wanted to talk about today was how to sort of analyze your race. So you've just had a race. Now you have to analyze that and you have to look at it objectively because it's not going to be your last race. Mm. And for me, this half marathon wasn't my A race for this year. It was just, it was more like a workout Mm. and it was a baseline. So I'm going to use that now. I analyze what I did, how I went to lead me up to that A race, Mm. that marathon. And it's a really important thing and you've got to be able to do it after every race because if you don't, if you can't kind of figure out where you went wrong or more importantly, where you went right, yeah. you're never going to be able to improve or build on that. So I've put together some things that I will be doing. Have you done a list? I've done a list. Wow. I've, a big list. I don't know if we'll talk about all these things, okay. but 
I'm not just talking about the actual race itself. I'm talking about the uh, event, the events on race day leading up. Okay. So, um, you, so what you did leading up to it, what you did on race day, what you did during the race, anything about how you recovered as well? Uh, yeah, a little bit, okay. a little bit, yeah. So first off, you know, actual race day. So these are kind of they sort of in a in an order, but a couple of them are out of order because I thought of them out of out of order and. Yeah, As and, I thought of something, I wrote them and down. And once you type it down, then the I can't change electronic it. thing, you no, can't change it. I can't it. change like, that's it. That's locked in forever. <laughs> that's locked in. Yeah. I, I have a setting on my phone that once I type a note, it's there. Yeah. Andrew takes all his notes on chisel, uh, and then he comes down from the mountain and presents them to me. and says, right. this is the podcast notes. That's right. I'm like, you spelled podcast with a K. Damn it. <laughs> well, that's that just adds to the yeah. mystique of it. They call me Moses. Ye oldie podcast. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to start doing that we're going to do throwbacks we're just going to stand on street corners and yell at each other and podcast that way I think that's a great idea yeah. and a great way to get arrested can you imagine us standing on the corner at Flinders Street Station going and so my tempo run was such and such and you're on the other side of the road yeah that'd be great that'd be a great time town criers let's do it yeah alright that's the that's the next live we'll podcast shoes little curly shoes and hats that's with true. feathers in them yeah, everybody always told me that I was a court jerk so might as well <laughs> look the part this podcast is going to be an hour and a half if I don't let you get to it. Well, they're usually about an hour, an hour and a half anyway. <laughs> so yeah, so the first thing that I wrote down was uh, the travel to the event. Mm. So how did that affect my race performance? How has that affected my race performance? So in this particular one, the half marathon, it didn't really, like it was a good travel leading up. Sure, mm. I cut it a bit close. You know, I, I should have, I could have gotten there a little bit earlier. I didn't really take into account that I was going to a car park that was probably going to be, you know. <laughs> Uh, a little bit packed and a line getting into it physically doesn't affect much but mentally if you're running late that can really stress you out and that mm. stress that cortisol release can affect your race absolutely oh there's a chemical reaction indeed mm. indeed so when you get stressed it releases that cortisol and it's not great it's not great uh leading up to bright for example mm. you know that was a four-hour drive and you know it was just it's a long time to be driving the day before a big race. Yeah. That's where it's going to physically affect you, you know, unless you're really prepared for that. So really look at your travel to the event, day of, day before, depending how you're going. If you're going to a race that is at elevation, plan on being there early, couple days, maybe even if you can, get there like a week early and acclimate to it. You're not going to change your fitness in terms of elevation, but... You know, with it, with a few days of training, it takes months and months of elevation training to get acclimated to it. But at least you can get used to the air a little bit more. Yeah. And then you look at so that's that's travel. Uh, the next thing you want to look at is your sleep patterns in the day before the race. So I've mm -hmm. kind of I've kind of accepted <clears throat> the fact that the day the night before a race, I'm probably not going to get the best night's sleep. I I've done Melbourne will be my twentieth marathon or greater event mm. and. I have never had a good night's sleep. No. Even ones where I'm like, I'm just going out as a training run. This is not anything I need to worry about. There's something about race day that means the sleep the night before is interrupted. Yeah. It's, it's the night before the night before you need to be getting a good night's sleep. Exactly. Agree mm. a thousand percent. Like, mm. I look at the night before the night before and the night before that. So, mm. that basically, two days before the night before the race, those, yeah. those are my best. I really focus on the sleep there yeah. because just you're not going to get a good night's sleep. No. The night of the race. Even if you're completely relaxed. Mm. Even if you're in your own bed. Even if it's a late start race and you know you don't have to get up that early. You just can't get to sleep that no, night. No, it's just weird. And yeah. it's like, even if it's not an important race, it's just... Mm. no. There's so many things on your mind. Like, all right, 
Have I laid everything out? Do yeah. I have everything? Is my nutrition set up? How many times am I going to use the toilet before the race? Is that yeah. going to make me late? Is there going to be a line? Yeah. What if I get in the toilet and I'm on the pot and the race starts? What yeah. happens then? Yeah. It's like all those thoughts that will come into your mind. Do you do a, a caffeine fast in the weeks leading up to an event to try and get better sleep? Do you know what? I, I wanted to try it once, but then I was like, there's a couple things that scare me about that. Um, one, I love coffee. One, I love coffee. Yeah. That's that's it, really. No. Uh, and B, basically, caffeine is a diuretic. Mm. So the, I kind of, for me, the last thing I want to do is not have had coffee for a week or two and then have coffee wait, race day. And, All of a sudden, you're peeing every two seconds. Yeah. And, you're, yeah. Mm. And, 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 of course, the other thing, code brown, we don't want it. Yeah. I, I have done caffeine fasts before, and... They are really, really hard. Yeah. Like, yeah, go. I try and go down slowly, like go down from three cups a day to two cups a day to one cup a day with a cup of tea and then just down to a cup of tea and then eventually get rid of it. And it can take two weeks or so to actually wean yourself off that slowly. But if I don't do it that slowly, I get headaches, I get nausea. I'd have to I isolate get myself symptoms. from... Yeah. Like, it's, it's really, really bad. Yeah. But, and, and you're t- a lot more tired. Mm. But you do get better sleeps because you're a lot tired. Sure. But then it doesn't matter. Even if I do a caffeine fast beforehand, the night of the race, crappy sleep. Yeah. Wake up the next morning, have that first coffee, though, in two weeks. It's like jet fuel. Yeah. It's astonishing how much it wakes you up. And you kind of feel jittery. It's like being a young man again. Mm. Yeah. Maybe I'll try it for, like, a race that is not a goal race. Like, mm. actually, the half probably would have been a good time to try it. Mm. If I do any, like, shakeout. You know what? Maybe before a time trial or something. Yeah. So I've got a couple of time trials coming up. Um, which kind of, you know, talking about coffee and things that you ingest, kind of looking at your eating habits the day yeah. before a race, the days before a race. Days. Days. Take 72 hours for food you eat to get yeah. through your system. What you eat on Thursday is what you'll see on race day. Exactly. So, yeah. you, you know, you should be kind of practicing with this stuff on your long runs and this and that and the other thing. But that said, even if you do, race day is a little bit different. Adrenaline's going, your body's reacting differently. So you kind of find out, all right, is this food that I had been rehearsing with, quote unquote, on my long Mm -hmm. run days, is this really good for race day? Because at the end of the day, look, your long run days or your, you know, your, uh, your, your, big days aren't necessarily going to treat you the same as race day because nine times out of 10, you're running race day a lot faster and harder than your long run. So you might want to start getting used to, if you're not fueling on your kind of hard, speedy interval days, not a bad idea to start. You know, Uh, I don't fuel during my interval and speed workouts, but I certainly do fuel before, which is actually new. You know, I used to do them fasted, but up uh, until about maybe... Three months ago. And so three months ago, I started kind of fueling before my speed workouts just to see how my stomach handles that. Really a good idea. (laughs) Uh, You're not going to want to find out on race day if something bad has happened. If you have found out that hard way, then you need to go back to the drawing board. That's a lesson you will learn very, very quickly. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's a lesson that you're only going to learn on race day. Yeah. And if you, listen, if you are lucky enough and disciplined enough to have a lifestyle and a way of organizing yourself where you can do like 72 hours. Like, hey, I'm doing a long run on the Sunday. I'm going to eat on Thursday, Friday, Saturday as if I'm doing the race and really rehearse that and and do that more than once to really fine tune it. 
fantastic do yeah. it it's just not always practical i know with a family and everything if i said to them for the next four weeks we're going to eat the same thing thursday friday saturday sunday so i can work out how i poop on sunday when i do a long run that's not going to go down well yeah. so what you can do is however practice your um food the night before yeah um you can practice the food of the day mm. you can practice hydration levels you can mess around with stuff like that yeah and i would even say like if you're really and i'm this is not that Zach isn't serious about his racing. No. But if you're very serious about your racing, you might find that for a few days out of the week, you're eating differently than yeah. the people that you live with, and that's okay. Yeah. You'll have to have that... Because con- there are going to be conversations that come up with your family, maybe, or people that you're close with when you're doing training that is this hard and long, that there are going to be sacrifices that are made. Mm. Like, for example, I just had a conversation with Aaron a couple of minutes ago, well, a couple of hours mm. ago, just let you know, this Saturday, I'm going to get up. I'm going to go run 30 kilometers. It's probably mm. going to take me anywhere from three hours to, mm. well, should take about three hours. And, you know, that, that ad is time that I will sacrifice in the morning with her and Olivia. So we have to kind of figure that out. And same, th- same thing with meals. Like, Aaron and I have very rarely eaten the same meal mm. while I'm training. Yeah. You know... We go out to dinner every now and then, but we're we're never eating the same, and that's kind of that's kind of something that you have to sort of understand if you're going to get into running and fitness and everything. You might find that there's a lot of time where you're not eating the same as people, and you might feel like an outcast. Yeah. But you've got to keep in mind you have a, a goal, you yep. have a track. If you can figure that out, eating the same way as your family for most of the time and doing it great. Like, great because Zach knows his body. He knows it really well. Right. He knows that he can take one day or, well, the day before a run and work on that and that's going to treat him well. But I would love to, if I, you know, if it was practical, mm. to be able to do that. It's just not practical. But yeah. if you can do it and your family can help you with that and your partner can support you with that, yeah. then go for it. It's Absolutely. great. It's, it's only going to help you. It's not always <clears throat> practical to buy two sets of groceries. I no, it's not always <laughs> practical to prepare two different meals. Mm. Um, and, exactly. And yeah, the whole sacrifice thing, there's the reason the phrase marathon widow exists. Because <laughs> yeah, my wife, once she realizes I've entered a marathon and I've got 12 weeks to go, she's like, well, there goes our Friday, Saturday nights yeah. for the next three months because you can't do much yeah. on a Friday, Saturday night if you want to do a proper run. Exactly. Exactly. So you got to like, you got to like understand <clears throat> the sacrifices that are going to be made if you yeah. really want to take what you've learned at this race and make a better race for next time. Yeah. And so speaking of that, you kind of look at the stress levels in your life. Mm-hmm. So everyday life, right? So the things that are going to stop you from running your best. So you look at your stress levels. I find that you know, when it's possible. I love to take the day or two off before a race. Yeah. Not always possible. I get that. But you kind of, if you can figure that out, it's a really great way to just shake everything off and not worry about anything. Because the more stressed you are leading up to a race, like I said before, you know, it brings out some chemicals that are not going to treat you well. It's going to affect your sleep. So we don't need to talk about this one too much. Mm-hmm. I wrote it down a little bit later, but We've already kind of discussed. That. Take take the also if you can take the day off after your race as well. That's a good point. I took yeah. the entire week off after the Spartan Ultra. Yeah, <laughs> oh, so some of the best races I've ever done are when I know I've got the next day off because races are often on Sunday. Yeah, and so you know, having work on a Monday always wrecks your Sundays anyway. Yeah, work on a Monday after you've done a marathon and you're absolutely trashed. Mm. At the very least, try and work from home if yeah. you can. Um, if not, take the day off. 
Um, especially if you're like I remember I've uh, when I do go to do Great Ocean Road, we take the Monday off and we just take our time coming back. Yeah. And we get the opportunity to hang out at a different location, drive back. The family gets a chance to connect. It's kind of their reward for having to put up with me whilst my marathon training and, and sitting around for four hours waiting for me to finish. So there, there's advantages to sort of, you know, taking that day off afterwards as well. Absolutely. And don't let me forget, I've got to actually request that day off the marathon. So you, yes. that's your job. Okay. To request your day off. Yes. Who do I talk to? I'd like to talk to your manager. Her name is Jess. Okay, Jess, um, if you're listening, Andrew would like the day off. Um, we've submitted the form. You obviously missed it. Um, that's on you, not us, because we're completely organized about this sort of thing, as you can tell. Oh, always. Mm. Um, no, always. <laughs> so, <laughs> basically, so the next thing that I have on my notes, which I'm bringing back up again. Sorry. Multitasking. Multitasking. <laughs> uh, so, preparations for the weather. Oh, Welcome uh, to Melbourne. You're welcome, yeah. Just prepare for everything. Exactly. So my best advice to you, and I don't really need to say much more than this, is if you have a scheduled quality day, like a, 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 a speed day or a long run day, go out and do it no matter what the weather brings. Like mm. if it's raining, if it's snowing, if it's hot as hell, go out and do it. Like. As long as it's not dangerous. As long as it's not dangerous to your health or anything. Like high winds, thunderstorms, lightning. Try not to go out in lightning. Yeah. yeah. But at the end of the day... Acid rain. Jesus. At the end of the day, whatever happens on race day, that's what you get. Yeah. So if you've kind of dodged every rainy day, and then you get to race day, and it's a rainy day, that's going to affect your performance because you yeah. don't know how your body reacts. Well, not even so much your body, but how... Your gear is going to react. Oh, yeah, chafing. Yeah. You will never experience blisters like you have mm. in, in rain unless you've run in rain. Like, mm. I, you have to do it. Yeah. You just have to do it. Don't, don't, don't skimp out. Go, go run your tap right now. Get the cold water running. Yeah. See how cold that water is. Stick your hand under it. Feel how cold. That water is not as cold as the water that will run down your back into the crack of your ass when you're doing your race in the rain. It's such a lovely visual. It's yeah, it, it is freezing, and your it will cool you down. Like your body that's been getting hotter on runs will cool down a lot faster. And once your body starts getting colder, that prompts the body to start reacting and drawing blood closer to it and trying to protect it, which weakens you. The rain and cold weather is a vicious cycle, and you've got to train yourself to be able to handle it. Also, like Andrew said before, training at altitude, if you're going to somewhere hot. I remember my first run up, my first marathon ever at Gold Coast. I've said this story before. On the Thursday before I went to the Gold Coast, I went for a run and it was three degrees. On the race day at Gold Coast, on my watch, it registered 28 degrees. That's a difference. With humidity of, you know, 90% or something. Yay. So heat, will the other extreme, will, will take it out of you as well. That's so it. train in... Everything you can. Train whatever the day gives you. Yeah. Yeah. So now we're kind of leading up to the actual race itself and mm -hmm. analyzing what you did during the race, leading up to the race, starting with your warm-up. Mm. So we've talked about warm-up before, how important it is. The shorter your race, the longer your warm-up should be, uh, the more intense it can be. The longer your race, less less intense it needs to be. Yeah. But if you're serious about your running, you need to... You need to warm up. You need to warm up like for 15 to 20 minutes at the very minimum. If you're doing like a 5K through to a half, yep. you should be out running 
you know, don't don't be afraid that yeah. it's going to uh, deplete you or anything. You yeah. don't have to run at race pace. Just yeah. run at an easy pace. Throw in some strides. You know, my my personal best 5K, I ran 19.52. I ran that after a 15 or 20-minute jog plus stride. So it didn't mm. take anything out of me. It actually prepared my body yeah. for what was to come. And don't be worried about looking silly or not looking cool. Like, mm. everyone needs to be super chill and relaxed. I have done lunges, I've done hip thrusts, I've done supermans, I've done a whole bunch of activation stuff on a on the grass next to the starting chute to get ready. Yeah. Because ultimately, who gives a crap? You're not going to see those other 7,000 people again. Right. Um, but you are going to remember this race day forever. You'll see them day. each time you pass one of them because yeah. you're the one who warmed up. Yeah, so do so. Tra- treat yourself right. You know, Don't let all the training go to waste on race day exactly. because you're not doing a warm-up and you're not getting the maximum out of yourself. Exactly. The, the biggest fear I see from people is that it's going to deplete them. Yeah. A warm-up is not going to deplete you if you do it right. And no. practice that. Practice that on your quality day. Like your speed workout days, you should be doing a 15 to 20 minute warm-up. On your, on your long run days, before you settle into the pace that you want to hit, you should be doing a 15 to 20 minute like kind of mm. easy. Like if you want to settle into a 5.30 pace for your long run, start out at like a six minute pace. Yep. Do that for 10, 15 it. minutes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not going to tire you out. Yeah. It is going to do nothing but benefit you. Yeah. You're never going to look back at a race and go, oh, I think I underperformed in that race because I overdid my my warm-up. You are going to look back at a race and go, man, my first 5Ks was crap because yeah. I hadn't warmed up at all. Yeah, exactly. You know, if you don't warm up before the race, then the first 5Ks of your race is the warm-up. Well, that's it. Like If you look at all your runs, the first couple of kilometers, they always feel mm. crappy. Yeah. You're getting adjusted. Your heart rate's jumping up you're moving in and out of crowds you're adjusting your gear you basically you get rid of that in your warm-up you can just take all that and get it over with yep then you look at your thought process so your mental game right so your mental game on the actual start line what what was going through your mind what what were you thinking about were you thinking about the announcer were you thinking about your gear were you thinking about the person next to you were you really focused on the task at hand were you thinking about you know okay last night i looked at the course map here's where i know i'm going to surge there's an aid station there so i know i'm going to get a drink there there's a hill here but right after is a downhill so i'll gain some time what are you thinking about what's your thought process what's your visualization like if you're just like standing there just like with nothing going on maybe that works for you mm. but i found for me i'm always better i, I start and race better when I actually focus on the start line. Yeah. If you can zen out, cool. But chances are your mind is going to be wanting to think about things. So give it positive things to think about. Tick off all the things you've done to get ready, all the preparation you've done. Mm. You know, divert it away from the, oh, I forgot this or I didn't do that. No, no didn'ts. No, I, I wasn't. It's all about I have done this. I have done that. I am prepared. Positive energy, positive thoughts. Absolutely. Mm. Then you get to your your motivation level for the race. And this this kind of this kind of starts with your training really because if you get to a race mm. and you're kind of like eh you enter the race for a reason. You enter the race. You yeah. enter it for a reason. But if you get to a race and you're not feeling it or you just don't want to be there, there's a couple things. Probably you have either overtrained yeah. and you're fatigued or something's you, gone wrong. Something's gone wrong or yeah. you haven't trained enough and you just feel scared. Imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome. So you should always you, you might feel a little bit 
nervous, that's fine. You might feel like maybe it's not going to happen, that's fine. But if you just don't want to be there, then you've got to look at your training. So what's your training looking like leading up to the race? Did it get you to this point in the way that you would have expected it to? Did you work hard enough? Did you make sure that you didn't overwork? Mm. Is, is, is your training going to be setting you up for the best possible case scenario on race day? Like if you want to go out there and run, you know, if you're doing a 5k and you want to run a sub 20 minute 5k, but you haven't actually experienced that pace in mm. your training. It's going to be tough to find that for the first time in a race. going to be tough to find that for the first time in a race. That's not how I sound. That's exactly how you sound. Really? No. Oh, terrible. Um, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so what's your training like? What what has led you up to this level? And has that training motivated you? Mm. Like, do you get up and look forward to your training? Mm. We all have runs that we don't want to do. But if you're, if you're consistently showing up to a, a workout or a long run or any run not wanting to do it, you should probably just like take a step back. Yeah. And if you've overtrained so much and got into the race so that you're so fatigued that you don't want to do it, Reconsider your taper. Yeah. Like we talked about how there's so many options with tapers from seven days to three weeks mm. and everything in between and a whole bunch of different... We did a whole episode on tapering, basically. Um, did you taper enough? Did you give yourself enough room after your training block to recover not just physically but mentally so that you got the desire back, you got the fire back in your belly? Exactly. You don't want this to be a chore. No. You know, you obviously you, you pay the money to enter a race to give yourself motivation to do it and force yourself to do it. You tell your friends and family so that they can guilt you into doing it and keep you going. You look at yourself in the mirror every day, but you need to want to be there. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So once the race starts, you're, you're going to follow everyone else in front of you. That's probably a really good tip. Which one? Try get, following everyone in front of you. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Don't, yeah. don't try and go a different course than everyone else on race day. It might feel like it's advantageous, but I, it's probably not going to work out for you. The first time I ever did park run, I went the wrong way. Did you? <laughs> I remember, You're like, this is quick. This is Well, actually, it was. I went, so there's that fork where it goes down under the tunnel thing. Yeah. And you went up? And I went up. Yeah. And I think it was Anthula, maybe, mm. who was like, you're going the wrong way. Mm. Like, what the hell are you talking about? Because mm. I, I wasn't in the front, but the person who was in the front, I couldn't see him. And I was like, oh, okay. Mm. So that was fun. But yeah. So you started the race. So we've talked about nutrition already leading up to it. Now you're talking about the nutrition during. We've mm. talked a little bit about that. But now you have to look at the execution of it. So was it the right fuel for you? If mm. it's a 90-minute race or a two-hour race, when are you starting the fuel? Was that soon enough? Was it too soon? I don't mm. think that it could be too soon. The only reason why it would feel too soon is if you were just like full. Uh, yeah, if it, if it was too much too soon. Yeah, exactly. If you're having a gel or half a bar or a banana yeah. within 15 minutes, half an hour, you should be okay. That shouldn't yeah. prompt any cramping. If you're having a, a whole, you know, full-on breakfast or a burger and chips yeah. just at, whilst you're in the shoot, no, that's yeah. not going to be great for you. Works for some people, but probably not no. for most. What What is your pre-race day breakfast? Mine is like pancakes and maple syrup really simple carbs mm. sugars stuff that i know that doesn't have a lot of fiber in it but yeah. just it's going to convert into fast energy um that's See, it's, to be my go-to it's interesting for me i actually have my pre-race breakfast sort of the night before okay so i'll have a a bowl of oatmeal um probably about i don't know probably like 150 grams of oatmeal i'll put in some no-shoe chocolate chips because they're yummy mm. some protein powder and i'll have that at night 
And then when I wake up, I'll just have a, a, a you can bar before the race. Okay. You know, if that and that's that's a race two hours and under though. Yeah. Okay. So, if uh, the race is longer, I'll probably I'll probably still do that, but obviously I'll just I'll start my fueling. So I'll have my you can bar. I might have that before I leave the house. And then I might have another one 15 minutes before race, potentially, or a half a bar before race. And then I'll start fueling maybe 45 minutes in. Mm, okay. And every 45 minutes to an hour. After that, I finally ordered Edge. The oh, got it. You can awesome. gel. So, cool. But yeah, so that's kind of that's kind of that. So you got to figure out, did that nutrition strategy work for you? Or did it leave something to be desired? Like I, for me, when I, I did the Spartan Ultra, I realized very fast that the day before I didn't eat enough. Mm. And the day of, I probably didn't eat enough either well ultras are just eating competitions yeah and i didn't i didn't i didn't eat enough real food i didn't eat enough whole food so for me i i just my energy levels just i wouldn't say that i hit the wall as much as the wall just fell on top of me <laughs> you couldn't get to the wall you were like the wall needs to come to me yeah please. exactly yeah. exactly and it was just i i realized that i needed to figure out a better strat because when you're in it that hard and that long you have to have more options than just a bar or a gel you have to have some kind of whole food yeah and sure you might not be able to stomach it but you've got to at least have it there so that if you are in the weeds you can you can you can use it and you have to practice with it so yeah. that you know that you can stomach it um that kind of goes hand in hand with your hydration as well yeah you know you got to figure out hydration yeah you, you can't be drinking so much that you're sloshing around but and but, don't try drinking anything new on race no day. no i remember the second time i did a non-stop ultra i was like i'm gonna go for 24 hours because i've done 16 hours beforehand so i'll be awesome yeah and then what did i do i introduced a new type of hydration i drank electrolytes rather than normal water and it just completely threw my system off mm. i just could not because i was drinking electrolytes i couldn't eat because i wasn't eating i went into a, a, a fatigue cycle and then I was gone. I bombed yeah. out after nine hours or so. Bummer. And so it was because, what did I do? I did something new on race day. Yeah. And I messed around with the basic fueling strategy, which you don't do that. Don't do it. Yeah. Don't do it. It's never worked. And so if you've never run a race before and you're listening to this, these are all good tips to take into your first race. But if you've done a race and you're going to go do another race, and we know you are, listen to this because what we're teaching you is how to use that race to get better for the next one. And it's because we've, we've, we've found out what doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> we have made many mistakes. That's right. Many, many mistakes. Between the two of us, yes. too many, too many mistakes for mm. one lifetime. Yep. Um, so now we get into the like sort of nitty gritty of the actual race metrics themselves. Yeah, this is all the stuff that your watch tells you after. Exactly. Yeah. So your pacing strategy. The first thing that I look at, well, you look at them during the race most likely, but mm. you can really analyze them after the race and you look at your pacing splits and... You see, what what does that tell you? You know, if you've started your race at a five-minute pace and you've ended your race at mm. a six-and-a-half-minute pace... What does you that tell you? You started too fast. You yeah. started too fast and you had no busy business starting there. That said, you could, if you wanted to, an interesting thing would be, start there yeah. at the six-and-a-half-minute pace. And I'll bet you, you'd have a better chance at finishing at a five-minute pace than you did starting at a five-minute pace. Because yeah. if you start too fast, there's just nowhere to go. 
Yeah. You just, yeah, literally. Nowhere to go. That, well, there is one way to go. And it's slower. Th- yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to look at those splits and look at them objectively, too. Because if you're looking at, like, you know, we were looking at one of my splits from yeah. the Run Melbourne, and it was like a 520-something, and Jack was like, what is that? Mm. That was that that was a split that had two hills in it. Yeah. So is it you have to honestly look at your paces. I yeah. also look at a pace that was 440. What was that? Well, that was a, a split that had two hills in it, yeah. but they were going downhill. And depending on your watch, it will give you metrics like adjusted pace. Like yes. it will actually adjust the pace the gap. for the yeah, great adjusted pace. Exactly. Yeah. So like for yeah, I went to the Yangs this morning. I ran a 15-minute mile uh, up and down that bastard, mm. but my grade adjusted pace was about an 11-minute mile. Yeah. And those are kind of, you know, not awful. It's just yeah, you don't trust the data you get from your watch on first blush, just as what it is. Yeah. Look, look at your watch. Go jump on the internet, read the ten tips for understanding your data, and look at understand what the different metrics are. Because once you drill into it, there's a lot more than just kilometers per hour and yeah. time. There's also you need to understand some of the numbers that come out and say you are a three point two in anaerobic. Mm. Well, what does that mean? Is that good? Is that bad? Who knows? So understand the data. Um, if not in the lead up to your race, after the race, so you yeah. can learn from it. Yeah. Uh, another good thing to look at is your heart rate. Yeah. So where were your heart rate spikes and why did they happen? Yeah. Where do you think you had a little bit more to give? So it's not always that you're not always going to look at a race and think I gave too much and I exploded. Mm-hmm. You might look at a race and be like, well, I didn't give enough there. Yeah. Next time I do this thing, I'm going to pick it up at X, yeah. Y, Z doesn't have to be in the beginning but mm. you know you're going to find out where where you could have surged a bit yeah it's not perfect but heart rate is an okay indicator of effort so yeah. gold coast i've ran that one i had for the first 35 36 kilometers a perfectly flat kilometer after kilometer was the same like a metrone but my heart rate was climbing bit by bit by mm. bit by bit all the way through it so the pacing graph goes straight horizontal yeah the heart rate just climbs and climbs and climbs what that meant was i was working harder and harder with each kilometer to maintain that same pace until what happened i hit the wall mm. and so looking back at that you can sit there and go well what i should have done is i should have in my next race kept an eye on my heart rate and realized if it was getting above a certain level, I needed to slow my pace. Yeah. Just because I could hold my pace, I wasn't taking into account how far I was, how fast I was doing. Yeah. And so I did that in my next race. I sort of set a ceiling for my heart rate. And in the second half of the race, I stopped worrying about kilometers, started worrying about heart rate, avoided the wall, yeah. finished faster. That's the whole thing. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Running faster for the first 38 kilometers means diddly squat if you walk for the last four. Pretty much. Running all the way through is always going to be a lot faster. And that's the thing, folks. Like that heart rate, yeah, it's it's a guideline. It's not the be-all, end-all. But there is going to be a point on your heart rate that if you go above that for an ex, like X amount of time, you're, there's no way mm-hmm. you're going to come back unless you physically stop. Yeah for a couple minutes, five, ten minutes, and then slowly start to run again. If you go over a certain uh, heart rate, Mm. according to your body, you're most likely going to lose Mm. your race. You know, figuratively. So keep an eye on those splits. Figure out what all the metrics mean and and use them to your advantage. So do you think you can go faster? Do you think you need to go slower? Where was your heart rate? And then using those splits, the next thing you look at are the decisions that you made during the race, were they helpful? Which decisions did you make 
were not helpful. So, okay, for me, half marathon, I made the decision about 17 kilometers in or 18 kilometers in, whatever it was, to uh, start to kick a little bit. Mm. That was not a helpful decision. It was too soon. Yeah. You know, but it was a decision that I made. So yeah. I know that if I'm doing a half marathon, 18 kilometers for me to start to kick home, probably a little bit too soon. Yeah. You know, the decision to pick somebody out and race with that person, that was a good decision because it helped me. It, it kind of, it when you do that, it taps into like a very raw, primal sort of part of your brain where it's like that competitive edge and it's like that just kind of pushes you a little bit more and you feel like you're really racing rather than just, I'm going to just get to the end of this thing so I can get my medal. Mm. It's a race. Find somebody to race. Make a decision. Mm. How does that help you? Uh, what, what about you? What, well, have you ever made any shitty decisions? It's kind of like a circular argument because sometimes the decisions you make during a race event are part of the strategy that you take into the event. So I think about Great Ocean Road. I had a strategy going in that I was going to walk the hills. So on the day when I got to the hill, I made the decision to walk the hill. Mm. That turned out to be a bad decision. But it wasn't a decision I made in the moment. It was a strategy decision. Yeah. So it becomes like, okay, what what could I have learned from that? Mm. Um, other times, like I remember uh, when I did my best ever marathon time, for whatever reason, at the 5K mark, I decided I wanted to make sure that I was shaking out the legs and the hamstrings. So I did 20 strides of like butt kicks during the marathon. Mm. I must have looked like an absolute lunatic because here I am in a marathon trying to go sub 3.30 and I'm doing butt kicks like you would during a warm-up. But it loosened everything up and it kind of gave me a distraction which was, okay, at the next five-kilometer mark, I'm going to do it again. And so I did my butt kicks all the way through, PB'd, and now every time I race an event, I do the butt kicks. And that's a good decision that worked for me. It it gave me a distraction. It gave me a... I don't know if it made any physical difference whatsoever, but I thought it did. Probably did. And that's what counted. It yeah. probably did because it would have it would have encouraged uh, more efficient mechanics. So mm. I know when Shakes I'm, it out. Yeah, I'm yeah. running. If something starts to niggle up on me, I'm like, oh, mm. better uh, let me see what I can do. I'll mm. tilt my pelvis forward. I'll yeah. drive my knees through a little bit. Maybe I'll kick my heels up, and all of a sudden, yeah. nothing's wrong. So those are those are all decisions during a race that are going to be made that are either going to help or hinder and. You need to sort of figure that out. Yep. Some decisions are like, when am I going to put music on? You know, if you run with music, when am I going to put the music on to boost it? Am I going to do it at the 20K mark of a marathon? That's a good point. Yeah. Or am I going to save it? Like, I like to save it. I like yeah. to wait until I'm into, I've crossed the 30 kilometer mark and then I put the music in. And it means like the last 10 kilometers, the last 50 minutes, I'm just following. I'm like, that's eight songs. Yeah. That's all I need. Yeah. If you go too early, it's like, oh, well, I've kind of lost the mojo. Mm. Whereas if you save it and you tactically apply music, when I did the Yu Yang's 100km Ultra, um, music on the last lap got me through. Yeah. Because I was like, well, I've just, fuck, I've got to hike this next hill. Mm. It's going to take like an hour and a half to hike this bloody thing. On goes the music. There you, you go. Know, get through it. I, my, my uh, headphones, um, they like kind of died, so I had to recharge them on the run in the, in the, mm. in the run Melbourne. But at that point, when they charged up, I put them in. I couldn't press play on my phone because my hands were too sweaty. <laughs> And the phone was a little bit wet because it was in my pack, so nothing was registering. So for the last like kilometer and a half, I had no music. Right. I did not like it. <laughs> I did not like it. So what does this all now mean? So all of this stuff leading up to now, how do you plan for your future race? Yep. You look at that. So, okay, so for me, I know if I'm just looking at pacing, 
my pace for this half marathon was pretty even about a five minute pace five minutes and two second pace that now sets my baseline mm. for my workouts it's such a really great baseline for a workout so for example you know this past workout that i had six and a half kilometers or about four miles at faster than half marathon speed so i plugged it into my watch that I wanted to run anywhere between a 420 and 450. There's no way I was running a 420 in the middle of that workout, but I knew that I had to run under five minutes and my watch was going to beep if I went out of that zone. So that's what you use. That's a metric. That's a metric that you can use. So now you're, you have that baseline. Okay. I can run this at this pace. Now that really will help you figure out what you can race your next races. Yeah. So if my half marathon pace is about a five minute kilometer, that means that my 10K pace, maybe that's about a 430 to a 440 kilometer mm. currently. My 5K pace, probably about a 410 to a 420 currently. My one mile, probably about a 350. So that's 1600 meters. Mm. So how does that now apply to my full marathon? Well, okay, because that's, that's the tricky thing, right? Because yeah. these your pace will just really degrade as you go higher. So I can't right away come away from that thinking, oh, okay, I, I ran a five-minute kilometer for a half marathon. That means I can run a five-minute kilometer for a full marathon. No, that's not what that means. And it's not linear either. It's not linear. No. So that's my goal right now, but I also have eight weeks to get there. So, okay, if I ran a five-minute kilometer for a half marathon and this is how hard it was, that was about a eight or nine out of ten rated perceived mm -hmm. effort, then I've got to be able to run that same five-minute kilometer for 42 kilometers and yeah. have that same effort, if not less. Because yeah. at the end of the day, you should be giving slightly less of an effort for a longer race because you can't go into a marathon, a full marathon, with your 5K effort. No. You'll kill yourself. So, But you also don't want to go in with your easy long run. No, exactly. Because that's way too slow. Because you just won't be happy with that. Yeah. So I now have a baseline. Okay, faster than half marathon pace. That's where all of my interval work needs to be, yeah. at the very least. You know, if it's an extended... So I've got a run coming up next weekend, which is similar to the Broken Tempo. It's going to be two-mile warm-up and then a three-mile tempo run. So it's a 5K, pretty much hard tempo. I will aim to run that faster than what I ran the six and a half kilometers. So faster than marathon pace, but faster probably than a 450 pace. Not quite 5K pace, mm. because after that, I'll go 60 seconds on hard, 60 seconds easy, 10 times. And then I'll go into another 5K tempo yeah. and try to match that pace. So these are all ways that you can figure out what your next race is going to be. So from your, your days leading up to it, to the morning leading up to it, to your travel, to your warm-up, to your nutrition and hydration, to your pacing... What's that now mean for your next race? Yep, it's all data points that you collect and you t you take the the picture that came out of your last race and you look at all those pieces and you break it up and you reassemble the puzzle mm. and you want to make a better picture this time. Yeah, you want to learn from what you made before and make a better make the picture faster, yep. quicker than yep. last time. Yeah, and and you, you might even start to assess your physical. Yep. You know, like for me, I look back and ninety kilograms for me, that's that's the limit. I don't want to be racing at ninety kil kilograms because mm. It's not that it's unhealthy weight for me right now, but it it makes the running a little bit more uncomfortable than I would like. So mm. what does that mean? So we'll get down to 85, fine. You know, I work that out. 
do I have enough time to get to that before the marathon? Because I don't want to be dropping too much weight leading up to a marathon. So, yeah. Yeah, lots of good stuff there. Indeed. Mm. We try. <laughs> do you have anything else you want to find out? No, I'm just trying to work out what else have I learned from a race that I would take to apply. I mean, it's just everything that works, keep doing. Yep. Anything that doesn't work, work out why it didn't work and avoid it. And that's the it's thing. It's as simple as that. The stuff that works is just mm. as important as the stuff that doesn't. So mm. the, you, you don't want to look at a race and find nothing that worked. If you look at a weight race and find nothing that worked, mm. you've got a lot of work to do. Yeah. But, and, and, and what I've learned from 20 endurance races is, and it seems so simple, you, you need to do the training. You need to prepare. Yeah. Like yeah. I've, I've gone into races just this year, half cooked, not ready, and it didn't work out well. Mm. And that's why... You know, it's it's only twelve weeks of me to train for this next marathon, but twelve weeks is a long amount of time. Yeah. You can do a lot in twelve weeks if you're disciplined and if you follow it. Because you can also slack off a lot in twelve Correct. weeks. Sixteen weeks would have been better than twelve because it makes a little bit less pressure. Twenty weeks would have been better again. I don't have that amount of time, but I know a solid twelve weeks will help me. Mm. Uh, so I think it's you need to also remember some of these lessons. Like you know, I'd done seventeen, eighteen marathons, whatever it was. And I was like, okay, and you sort of start to take it for granted. And the second you take it for granted, the race will come back and will smack you in the face. Got to respect the distance. Got to respect the distance, whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. Right on. Mm. All right, well, I think that that's a great note to end on. Mm. So, look, everyone, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Breaking the Barrier podcast, where Zach and I hope to inspire you to go above and beyond what you ever thought possible. We hope to see you out there on the roads, the trails, and the treadmills. We'll catch you next time.